You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. This is the Thunder Quack Podcast. The official podcast of Thunder Quack Podcast Network where anything can happen. So strap yourselves in and hold on to your butts. It's Thunderquack time! Hello and welcome back to the Thunderquack podcast, the official podcast of Thunderquack.com, which you can get early every Tuesday over at Patreon.com slash Thunderquack, just like our Patreon producers Brian Murawski and JJ Samuel. Or you can wait and get it late every Friday on podcast services across the galaxy. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda Konkin. And I'm your guest host today, Ryan Karen, usually of the Riverdale Gang podcast. Excellent. Welcome, Ryan. I'm sure people could tell from me doing the opening to the Thunderquack podcast <laughs> that it's a little bit different here on Thunderquack today. Um, so thank you for joining us, uh, Ryan. Mike is being a wonderful uh, husband and father uh, dealing with a sick kids and a sick wife at home. So uh, asked if we could do a guest spot today. And Ryan is kind enough to join us. So thank you again, Ryan, for stepping in. Yeah, my pleasure. Talking about nerdy things. Yeah, and I, I, when I when you called me, I was like, "So what is what is it about? <laughs> what are we talking about?" Yeah, and and that's I will say <laughs> that everybody is like aware. Last week we threw out the rundown, and then I had to bring it back so that Ryan had some structure into his day uh, for this. And I know over at Riverdale, you um, start podcasts a little differently. We don't really do land acknowledgments or, or haven't in the past, but I'm mm-hmm. happy for you. I think. In the great tradition of Riverdale, bringing it into the Thundercrack podcast, would you like to do a land acknowledgement for us, Ryan? Yes, thank you, Amanda. And um, uh, you and I are both in the same city. Um, we're recording here on the unceded uh, territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil Nations. And um, that's something we, we um, really uh, try to make in every episode routine and protocol over the Riverdale gang. Um, we do talk a lot about, we're talking about one show particularly, that is filmed here uh, on the same lands that we're recording our podcast on. Um, and uh, we talk a lot over there about how um, this territory does play an integral role um, in in the filming. It's, it's the entire set, the location, the place, the sense, the mountains in the background, the rivers, Sweetwater River over in Riverdale. Um, yeah, as well as being a um, uh, an important protocol that we uh, sort of transferred over from uh, our theater community norms, um, it also is uh, we think really relevant to the um, to the show commentary of where these places are filmed and um, what that land uh, and history and people are. I feel like we probably should have been better about that on Quiver because we were also like I mean um, Arrow was also filmed here too like a lot of stuff happened in Vancouver um, but I know I I feel like we've done some land acknowledgments uh, every every now and then but I do like it I like I appreciate that like you coming on being like hey by the way this is a thing that we do on our podcast and always looking for like different things that we can um, slip in elsewhere as we need to well it's it's never evolving conversation right and um, I know what what Chloe and I have found is that it really has opened up more conversations about the space, about the, the land, about the, the scenery. Um, 
it's it's um, pushed us to think more critically about the commentary we're making. Um, so we certainly uh, found it to be uh, a valuable touchstone. Cool beans. Awesome. Well, um, thank you, Ryan. I'm so pleased for you to be here. Um, and uh, in great Thunderquack tradition uh, for bringing back things that we thought were once dead. I don't know if we've ever done that in great Thunderquack tradition, but I'm going to say <laughs> that following the it rundown, let's start with a little bit of news um, because there was some unexpected sort of interesting stuff. Well, on a the rest of the world knew, but the Emmys happening this weekend <laughs> was new to me because I didn't find out about them until they were happening and people were tweeting about all of the cool sort of groundbreaking things were happening. Ground, you know, you don't really hear the Emmys described as groundbreaking, but sort of some some bigger, cool newsworthy some happenings, right? Some 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 firsts and some seconds and some landmarks and some milestones. Yeah, I, that that is my favorite way to process things like the Emmys is in the secondhand reactions of people whose work I already enjoy. Yeah. So I usually enjoy their opinions and reactions. And then I can read the summary of the Emmys of who won. Um, you know, I used to watch award shows, but these days it's not, uh, not so much the type of entertainment that catches me. That's fair. I mean, I never really watched Schitt's Creek. Um, I know we've talked about it a lot on the podcast about how we want to watch it. And I mean, I've tried, like, I've tried to watch a couple episodes, but that is, as a Canadian, how I found out about the Emmys happening was basically in all of those lead actors and supporting actors sweeping the comedy category, um, which is so exciting to see that happening, like Canadian talent getting recognized. One of the coolest things about the Emmys specifically is that... Um, this year they got to accept the awards from their hometowns like it was just mm -hmm. like like it that mm -hmm. happened in toronto like they right. were there they got to um accept it and so much of the of the canadian talent as well recognized um like with the actor category sweeping across of course they also won i'm, I'm pretty sure at least from the brief research that I did, that they won the casting Emmy as well, right? So, like, the casting mm -hmm. teams recognized for the great work that they did in populating this show um, with with such um, amazing people. But also that Schitt's Creek has a cool... I mean, Dan Levy brought something really exciting to that show in terms of content. I think it's an important conversation, the types of things that he was able to to put on the air and for us to just, add, like, recognize and and love. And there's a lot of, a lot of things to love about Schitt's Creek, I think, so... Yeah, well, it's cool. it's a landmark to have um, this this uh, queer icon of Canadian uh, Canadian sort of the B list art scene that we live in in Canada. This sort of small bubble of of uh, really creative people um, operating this shadow culture here in Canada, who are also working these big careers and developments in um, in America. And it's so neat to see um, this this work that feels very very of the canadian zeitgeist of the of the local production scene um popping big onto uh onto a u.s awards show and um you know dan uh, dan levy winning f like four big awards like i setting setting a um setting a record of some sort as a writer producer actor uh director taking emmys in all four categories um it's such a neat sweep to see for the canadian art scene um, and, um, yeah, like you were saying, the, the, the artists, um, Watchmen, for example, um, some really, really important pieces of work, uh, in the last year. I, I am, I'm happy to see, um, to see these emerging 
artists and voices getting getting the acknowledgement for the work that they deserve um and uh, everything that means in the the hollywood studio development circuit as far as these people's careers as far as the further telling of these uh tender romantic love queer love comedies like shit's Shit's creek um and these really important political uh speculative pieces sci-fi pieces genre pieces like watchmen um getting that recognition which um so that we see more of it yeah which same artists which we've talked about before like in on the podcast that that superhero shows don't really get recognized in awards categories Mm -hmm. and that watchmen sort of getting it's one of the first comic book adaptations to get sort of a top accolade i think they won best uh limited series which is Mm -hmm. awesome um but also, we had actually chatted about this previously when Cannes Film Festival was canceled, and we did talk about that specific um, phenomenon about how there's so many artists that rely on mm. festivals or award ceremonies or recognition in order to see like what it is they're doing, what people are pinging on, what the critics are enjoying, in order to get additional funding. And I mean, again, if you're any, you're not any stranger to the Thunderquack podcast, you'll know that Mike and I chat a lot about how Canadian television is perhaps not funded in the same way that American television should, for better <laughs> or for worse, right? We have a different funding structure up here. And a lot of the time, there isn't the same amount of sort of funding given to get audiences for content. We put a lot of money up front to make stuff. And it's not necessarily things that people are going to want to watch and enjoy. I'm very critical of Canadian content, obviously, <laughs> in this. But it's so cool to see something. And we've talked, too, about Kim's Convenience being another Canadian export yes. as well that, that's sort of getting some traction. So, so cool to see recognition. And for us to be able to have it, I mean, watching... I didn't watch the Emmys because, again, I, I didn't know that they were <laughs> happening. But going back and watching Jimmy Kimmel's opening where he does sort of say, like, what is – why are we doing this? Why are we having an award show in the middle of a pandemic? And obviously it's, like, leaning into that. It does look a little different. Um, but that there needs to – sometimes you just need a little bit of joy through all the chaos to remind us why we're doing the things that we do. And especially for television, I mean, so many people have turned to television during this quarantine and people being at their homes and like entertainment is still part of what people look to. And entertainment is a huge part of what shapes our culture and shapes our relationships to one another. And it's just cool to see that continuing to be recognized. You know, there's also um, something to be said for making sure that, uh, the, the really important cultural conversations that this artwork has um, driven and dove into continues. Um, like, what's neat about some of these these shows receiving accolades, um, even shows like The Good Place, which are nominated but didn't didn't actually win all that much, um, we're seeing a lot of really cool philosophy questions. We're you know in, in Watchmen, we're seeing important. Um, questions of America's reckoning with its with its uh, history of race right. and violence and police um, and in um, in Schitt's Creek again it's it's this interesting benchmark of family identity and um, soft gentle comedy um, Zendaya's win um, another landmark uh, for young artists yeah. working um, <coughs> Sorry, I'm I've coughed in the middle of being excited for Zendaya <laughs> <clears throat> because she was she was what she's like the youngest woman to ever get the best uh, actress uh, in a drama series category, uh, which is cool. And I think I think only the second woman of color to ever win that award as well. So 
there's yeah, so there's some cool things. There's there's a lot of things. Um, Frozen Two. This isn't at all the Emmys, but Frozen Two uh, stood out for me of last year for being. Uh, a, a little chunk of art that unabashedly jumped into despair as an experience oh. in a way that I sure don't remember from my childhood media. And um, it got me looking at a lot of the really hit um, bits of art over the last year or two years. Um, and I'm really seeing a lot of like, okay, how do we cope with the ridiculous stress of right now really yeah. already bleeding into our art as well as how did we get here and what are we going to do about it now these questions are already percolating um and it would be um it would be a shame to 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 not celebrate um the work and the idea work and the, the creative work that um that has gotten us here uh ready to dream of you know, revolution or whatever you're dreaming of. Um, awesome. And have these serious conversations about living through despair, living through crisis, um, uh, grappling with the very specific hard questions that are contemporary. Yeah. Cool. Speaking of hard things to deal with, I feel like the next piece of news, I ha I'm sandwiching our news today. I feel like you need to start with a little bit of levity and you need to end with a little bit of levity. And in the middle, we can talk about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That was your, yeah, that was your levity. Despair Emmys? Yeah, was your levity. despair. Well, you know, as as much as you can be excited about anything <laughs> right now, I feel like there's always a tinge of despair, even with all of the positive things. Yes. Would Sorry, you... I think I, I spoke so... over you, Amanda. You're introducing our next subject. Right. The passing of Supreme Court Justice. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. which is makes me um, sad. Uh, but one of the big things is the, I mean, and again, you can't get away from Thunderquack without a little bit of politics talk. So I hope people are in for the ride that is Ryan and I talk a little bit of politics uh, on the on the on Thunderquack, filling quite easily the gap <laughs> left bit. by left by Mike, where we often bit. we often segue into politics. Um, <laughs> But we can't talk. We can't not talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg because it's such a big deal that the passing of one woman in America, the reaction wouldn't be first off to mourn or to be able to um, celebrate her life, but to really just feel scared for the future mm -hmm. and for people to be like, "No, what does this mean? We're coming up so close to an election, regardless of what happens with the election." Because if you want to look on some sort of bright side. And I know that Ryan, you would maybe disagree. Like I've I've talked about it too. I have talked about how I think that there's no way that Trump won't win. Like I think that Trump is definitely going to win the next election because I would love to be proven wrong. I would love it. But if you think that there is change coming and people will vote in somebody else, then shouldn't that next president be able to choose such an important position in shaping the cultural conversation of a country? Right. I mean, that's the the little rule precedent set by Republicans four years ago. That's the established norm that wasn't the established norm, but then was made the established norm by this Senate. When they were jerks. And to Obama. Then basically, you know, six, six months left was too little time to consider a candidate. Six weeks, however, is an a per perfectly appropriate time to confirm a candidate. And that's, uh, that is, you know, some of the, that that seems fragile, but that's also not the first safety net, right? Like we've talked before, uh, you and I about about like, wow, the Supreme Court 
like one person, huh? It <laughs> make all this whole democratic yeah. system yeah. seems to hinge on one person right now. Um, but that's you know that's the the nth safety net that has been crashed through as far as checks and balances. There's plenty of other things that have went wrong beforehand, both highly visible and quite quiet, <laughs> to, to get to the point that a single Supreme Court justice um, holds the hopes of millions on her, on her pancreatic cancer survival yeah. diagnosis. Is it just, like, I haven't looked into that, and I mean, I've been, um, there's a lot of awesome stuff that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has done, and even beforehand, mm-hmm. um, like, before getting into the Senate, all the stuff that, but also the stuff that she passed yeah. while she was there, right? I think you, you know this better than me. There was, like, voting, or, no. Well, in the Supreme Credit Court, oh, yeah. I mean, she, she's known a lot to our generation for being, this amazing progressive swing vote on the Supreme Court and for these really scathing open dissent. She was the she was the second woman to ever sit on the US Supreme Court. Um which which is its own landmark. Um I, I am pretty confident she was the first Jewish woman, if not the first Jewish person. And um she has been at the forefront of political dissent in the last forty years. Uh, what it means to challenge an opinion. Um just this this notorious um notoriously bold, strong, principled uh, writer and and speaker. Um, But even before that, um, as a lawyer, in her long activist career, she she worked on cases that became landmark um, in gender equality in Title X uh, U.S. law, um, and that are underlying the right of women to, uh, you know, have a bank account in their name, to um, do a lot of these independent things that used to be attached to a male guardianship uh, a generation or two ago, uh, not that long ago. That is, this one 87-year-old woman's legacy um, is lived at the heart of equality in in politics, um, both spearheading as herself taking space as a woman and insisting on her right to be there, and also literally changing the law, both as a lawyer on the ground, stirring trouble, stirring change, and then as a Supreme Court justice. Probably the most famed Supreme Court justice in U.S. history. Like, arguably the best name recognition of any Supreme Court justice. Yeah, like, I have a hard time. I think the only reason that I knew... I, I don't even... I forget the, the two women as well. Like, one of them has, like, a longer the, name. Yeah, what? there's Justice Kagan yeah, and... Kagan, um, yeah, Kagan and something oh. Berkey or Birdie or... Anyways, the only reason I knew them is because they were in a crossword puzzle once, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I probably should know these people more that are now gonna... But anyways... She, I mean, we're also in Canada. Like, I know, maybe yes. one Supreme Court of Canada judge. Maybe, Fun maybe fact, I should know any. They dress like Santa Claus. Oh, great! The Supreme Court of Canada have bright red, velvet, <laughs> fluffy robes with white fur trim. Nice. And just, just look them up sometime. All it'll, right, all right. You know, it'll make you laugh in between reading atrocities of indigenous title yeah. disputes. That's <laughs> in true. between that. That's true. Um. Anyway, so the, we're all very, 
I, well, we all, we all at Thunderquack <laughs> Podcast here are a, like a very, you know, very um, distraught. We wish America the best in going into these uncertain times. I know that, I mean, I think no matter what you think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg or decisions of the Supreme Court, you know that she was an important part of the conversation in politics in the recent years and that there will be a severe difference moving forward in uh, mm. in what happens no matter what. Well, the, the immediate consequence is that uh, in, in a like global consequence way is that any contested U.S. election is now in a in a in a very different court is now going to an eight person court that stacked oh. five ways with two Trump appointees and three additional GOP. Uh, wow. So remember when the Supreme Court decided between Bush Gore, for example, huh. when we were youngins. That's the thing the Supreme Court sometimes does. In I don't think we were young elections. when Bush and Gore was a thing. Was that, were we young? Oh my gosh. Yeah, we were, Uh-oh. I mean, yeah, we were relatively <laughs> young, Amanda. We were not grown-ups then. No, okay. We we were precocious nerds who enjoyed <laughs> social studies. I guess. Maybe which that's Which is why we paid attention and we're like, what's happening there? This is weird. I've never seen an election go this bad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this bad. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm getting yeah. so uncomfortable. All Our right. innocent youth. Let's let's go to a brighter topic of yes, news, yes. which is Marvel. The yeah, the WandaVision trailer. See the sandwich <laughs> of news that you get on the Thundercrack podcast. So exciting! If people haven't seen the latest trailer, there's a lot more in it from the. We just previously got a teaser. The only thing that's not in this trailer is a date for when it will air. <laughs> and I feel like Disney Plus is the best at doing just like spur, like like random dumps where they're like surprise here's Mm -hmm. a series but with the mandalorian coming up i'm kind of like wandavision needs to take place either like within the next couple weeks (laughs) or like not till december because otherwise it's coming out right because it's it comes out like the 30th i think Mm -hmm. of october so it's like you don't want to release two big series in one month that just seems like not anyways so speculation abounds still but when in their marketing research i trust when it comes to the flagship tentpole series like i trust the binge machines to carefully place the binge in my feeding path (laughs) when i am hungry that's that's why it sucks all our information right so it can sell us the thing we want when we want it exactly and that actually works real real well with tv timing and the (laughs) the seasonal timing of netflix disney plus amazon prime hulu etc um i feel like they've got that down to an expertise um that's fair yeah (laughs) yeah so we will appear to us when we need it like Gandalf in the West. I, I do love that. I love that idea of like looking on the bright side of the internet, always listening to you and monitoring you is that it gives you things when you want them. And I do. We've yeah. been talking about that a lot recently about like what's <laughs> monitoring me. But the one, the, the takeaway from the trailer that I thought was cool, again, as somebody who's not really a comic book nerd, mm. to still see the homage to the comics, like in the teaser, we got the original um, Scarlet Witch outfit. And in mm. this trailer, we get the original one or um, vision like outfit, oh, like the cape yeah. and stuff. So it's just well, y- kind of a cool. Yeah, that is so exciting because it's a TV show. They have so many more, there's so many more hours in the day in a TV show. Yes. Um, unlike these precious, precious blockbuster minutes, <laughs> um, you can putz around in a serial piece of media. You can you can try things and fall flat. You can be a little goofier. You can break your own rules. And you can reference the 50, 60 years of material of storytelling that, like, the deep nerdery 
is is fabulous content for a TV <laughs> show. Nice. I mean, you know, Green Arrow podcast, The Flash, like, like there is the. I always found much of the charm of the CW model, right down to Riverdale as well, is the the wealth of of nostalgic referential uh, attachments, the wide range that millions of people have a, a unique personal experience with a big chunk of this background material that they take into it, and it's um it's it's a it's a big smorgasbord of offers and references, um, of casual viewing. Uh, which is such a different experience than our blockbuster comic books. Anyways, I'm excited to know when it actually comes out, though. That's, again, if somebody can find out when it comes out for me <laughs> and share with me when WandaVision will be around. That'd be exciting. I'm excited for the casual viewing experience of a crazy big blockbuster franchise. <laughs> you know, I am disappointed to see Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes booted into the indefinite future. Wow. I must say... As excited as I am about WandaVision. Well, that's, I mean, that's fair. Maybe we can be excited about that news when it comes out soon. Hopefully we'll find... They stopped... They, like, didn't film it at all, did they? Yeah, I believe their filming was largely um, paused. And, you know, also, we say, oh, yes, this is planned for this, but the reality of filming right now is the schedule is far more regular than it normally would be. Uh, We see this right here in Vancouver, right? Like, some... Many, many, many shoots are rolling out with new precautions and discovering just what that means for their speed and pace. <laughs> so, like, a lot of our guesstimate times right now, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that they're giving themselves just a little bit of flexibility. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I'm actually really stoked. I just saw, um, I, I follow Henry Cavill on Instagram. Because he's, he's not on. Of course I do. Because Henry Cavill's the best. You? Anyways, he took a great picture with his dog, who I also love. I don't know if you are familiar with Henry Cavill, but he has a dog named Cal, like from Fantastic. Superman, right? It's the best. Anyways, he was wearing a lion hat. Henry Cavill was wearing a lion hat, lying on his dog Cal, and just talking about basically he does fitness stuff. So I pay less attention to that. But apparently, there's something <laughs> called the Dural Challenge, and it's seems like it's fundraising for something and he's fabulous and doing awesome things but one of the things he was specifically saying is he's like i'm gonna protect everybody on the witcher here on with me on set and i want to do it remotely because you can and i was like oh, the witcher's filming again i'm so excited fantastic so, that was a great way for me to find out that they are actually filming these next seasons of the witcher that i'm quite excited about so fantastic anyway. gotta love a majority outdoors medieval shoot <laughs> yeah. for your safety in a <laughs> pandemic. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> They're just always going to be in the woods. Yeah, there you go. It's good. It, I like it. Yeah. So it's interesting, was... actually, I was, I was talking with a friend of, uh, a good friend of mine who, um, a colleague who works as an intimacy director, and um, she is having the heyday of gigs right now, uh, writing protocols for safely filming intimate scenes and romance scenes, sex scenes, love scenes, kissing scenes, what you can and can't do, what what's a hard no, what's a workaround, and um, interestingly, that that specialty mm-hmm. that has really emerged in the last few years, the specialists who are here for intimacy and safety uh, and performer comfort, um, have taken. Uh, really the front charge in um, pandemic safety on set as right. well. Um, cool. Interesting that there, there is that there, there is this cottage industry within 
within the the field and profession that has emerged around um, adapting to what's possible now and that safety component. That's good. Cool. Um, so keeping on track with the rundown that we're using here, the next part is what are you watching, Ryan? Uh, keeping on comic book theme, um, I just rewatched Watchmen, uh, the HBO limited series that just won itself an Emmy because yeah, it did. <laughs> um, yeah, it Watchmen... actually I think got got the most nominations too out of any out of anything. So HBO Fantastic. like killing it in terms of like going forward. It makes me feel like I should probably watch it. <laughs> I, I think you should watch it, Amanda. Um, I think it took a cinematography award too. I, oh, I awesome. think you should definitely watch it. You would be like the fourth person I have said, please watch this. Um, yeah, my latest rewatch was an in- watching it with friends who were watching for the first time, which is a delightful way to rewatch a series. But um, I was just enthralled with the nuance and storytelling in this. Um, it's a very um, there's bits of timey wimey storytelling. There's non chronological storytelling and very very effectively uh, framed. And um, without without spoiling things because it's still new. It just won an Emmy. Um, I, it is one of the best pieces of of TV I've seen in the last few years, but it is it is undoubtedly the piece of television asking the most relevant social, political, and philosophical questions that I've I've stumbled into. Um, the the book uh, the original comic book series was set in at the end of the Cold War was set at the end of the eighties and. Um, this series lives 30 years later, lives in a contemporary world that is both, um, it's an alternate history story and a speculative fiction story uh, being played out over these comic books. This, uh, this very comic book vibe and aesthetic, um, very true to comic book aesthetics and storytelling in how this, this television show is structured and visuals. Um, so it's not but, it's not the original series though, like the the comic no. book, because that's like because that's new information to me. Because yeah, I totally because I was so curious why the blue guy wasn't in any of the trailers, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I didn't recognize the like lead character from anything that I'm aware of. So okay. So um, I believe you could you could richly enjoy the show Watchmen with no knowledge of the comic book series. Um, that said, I it's a fabulous piece of comic like seminal graphic novel work and um if nothing else read the wikipedia page so you get some of the neat foreshadowing and and some of the reference is it enough um, to have watched the movie yes okay yes um yes with one one small thing that they changed the movie ending so it was a different type of disaster in the movie, it was some explosion or Gotcha, not. yeah, yeah. In, in the comic book, it is a literal extra-dimensional giant psychic squid was dropped on New York City. <laughs> and the psychic blast killed millions of people. It's so Whoa. comic book. It's so pastiche. But, um, but in, this, in this colors, in these, these colors and dot prints, um, the, the, the show jumps right into questions of power and authority, um, police violence and vigilantism, um, racial dynamics and history and reconciliation in America. Um, the show opens in the middle of the Greenwood Massacre uh, from Tulsa, Tulsa Oklahoma. Um, the Green, Greenwood, uh, the Tulsa Race Riots, as they are sometimes called, um, in 1920, I believe, um, approximately that timeline, uh, a 
prosperous black neighborhood, uh, a, a, wall, a, a veritable Wall Street, was destroyed by white neighbors, by Klansmen, by um, local militia, um, and burnt, burnt and uh, hundreds were killed just for being in the wrong neighborhood, in, in too prosperous a position. Um, it, it's a real dark spot on um, re relatively recent American history. And that's, almost that's real, though, right? Like, yes. So that's, you're talking about real yes. stuff, not just the comic books. Okay. Yes. So it, 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 it opens in this piece of history that is... Um, the, the show has been widely um, applauded by educators, by historians, for helping bring this incident into the contemporary zeitgeist in a fresh new way. Um because it takes this this piece of history from the 20s to the 80s that has been comic bookized um, to 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 uh, in the 80s challenge the existential threat of the Cold War, the authority of Ronald Reagan, this sort of um, tense uh, authoritarian dynamic. Um, today, it is used to explore um, an alternate 30 years of U.S. race relations and how um this the same but different an alternate history how things could play out but but how the same problems would manifest the same fundamental problems that go back to 1920 and far earlier um that are entrenched in in US history it's a very american story it's a spectacularly american story um and i mean that as the, the best compliment um I can give like it's a it's a pinnacle of telling a story that richly weaves critical U.S. history and contemporary American questions zeitgeist conflicts um, almost prophetically to a degree. This came out last year. This was made a year and a half ago, approximately. And um, the the questions it raises about vigilantism and police violence, about racial violence, and the intersection of systematized violence, government violence, police powers who has power why safety and the, and our hero who is a superhero cop uh, a black woman angela abar uh superhero cop and her history living in this alternate uh alternate timeline where america conquered vietnam um it it tells such a rich and robust comic book story like it's it's, it's I love the characters and we start in a place where it's all new people who are uh, who would belong perfectly in the world of the original comic book, but who are all more who are asking relevant contemporary questions. Um, cool. It really it really updates um, everything the original comic book did right about social commentary, about satire and critique. Um, to contemporary questions. Um, and it does tie back into the same world. It's clearly living in the same world and living in the consequences of a New York that was massacred 30 years ago. Um, Whoa. We get to see the that The 80s world was building. 30 years ago. No. It was. <laughs> um, yeah. I, if I dig much deeper, I'll, be, I'll, I'll run into spoiler territory. <laughs> this is a fabulous piece of art to just let unfold. Yeah. Um, the how many episodes is it 10 okay it's, and it's a nice succinct complete piece of work 
Um, these the property Watchmen may continue in in additional series, but the showrunner, the creator, this cast have completed this story. It's told. It's a it's a it's a done run. Cool. Whatever happens next with the property, um, so you can you can consume it, and and it is meant to satisfy you in the end. It it's not serial. Nice. The way most of our TV is. That's good. Um, the other thing that also in the uh, late to the game uh, pieces of media that I um, have been watching lately is the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, the Jim Henson Muppets uh, <laughs> on Netflix. Um, and I'm uh, distraught to have read just today, actually, that the show is for sure canceled and is not being picked back up and is not continuing. Yeah, um, I heard that today, too. And I'm not remotely surprised for a lot of media analysis reasons and and audience reactions but what a glorious little piece of weird art we got um the dark crystal uh the original dark crystal was this this uh experimental vaguely surreal piece of of puppetry of of fantasy storytelling again 80s property um and it's old and you may have heard of it and you may have the cult nerdery of it but regardless of any relationship with that, um, what um, Age of Resistance is, jump, it, it, it's a, it starts fresh in the history of this world. Um, again, it's, it's connected in the world, it's building on a world, but it introduces you fully with no expectation that you are a, an, you're an existing audience. You don't have to see or know or know anything about the original. Um, and it has this really um sweet blunt fairy tale frankness to it it's 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 a muppet story it's muppets but they're telling a dark serious fantasy where people die where beings are devoured where horrible atrocities are unfolding but they all have the frankness and plainness of a muppet not being comedic just being like there being being there um there's a spectacular spectacular voice cast gosh um taryn egerton uh uh what's his name jay peralta andy sandberg is a character is a voice um it's it's a very star-studded cast uh and a huge ensemble cast but um unlike most you know unlike a game of thronesy place where i get confused on who's who it's muppets the nice. visual distinction of puppetry means I'm never confused or lost, uh, and it takes you on this really, really sweet, serious fairy tale that at, at times feel felt to me a bit like aping children-appropriate media. So, like there were there, it's it's puppets, and we always know it's puppets. So that it sort time. of gives it like a certain amount of like disconnect, so that you can come into it sort of. In a different way. Like, it's not like the like, hyper-realism of, say, the stuff that I watch, like The Boys, where it's just gross and viscerally yes. gory. Yes. There's and like, it, yeah. it takes the fantasy of itself nice and serious. Like, you oh, can cool. really get lost in the fairy tale, the, the, the youthful fairy tale of it. Nice. But it's telling a very serious war story about um, challenging authority and life and power and it's a very classic, like Arthurian, Game of Thronesian power story, but it is told by gentle fairy tale puppets in this really warm, colorful, colorful world. 
I, I love it so much that all your stuff is very like you have a meaning to all of the things that you've talked about. Anyways, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> I like I haven't watched. Is Dark Crystal? Is it two seasons or is it just one the one? Season. Just one season. It's oh, one, one season. Yes. Oh. They, they also tell their story. Oh, okay. It, well, it's good. clearly not quite as rap- polished and wrapped up as Watchmen, but but it's it's like you can watch it without feeling distraught. As long yes, as you go the season it tells its story. Nice. I'm, um, so I'm, yeah, that's my my that's my media of the of the moment. Okay, I'm still distraught that I don't know whether or not the Umbrella Academy is being renewed for another season. So I'm uh, I'm sitting here being like, please renew you, please renew you. Anyways, <laughs> um, my stuff. I did I did my homework, and I'm really sad that Mike's not on this episode because I was supposed to catch up with the boys, and I did. So I'm very proud of myself for having caught up with the boys. Um, well, it's on my two. to watch list, so please tell me all about it. Oh, tell you all about it. Oh my goodness. Um, so I mean, the boys. Uh, I think we chatted a little bit about it on the last podcast, so that if people haven't seen the first season, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, there's two. So this is the second season is now being released. Not all is a big chunk, but it's being released as uh, like weekly episodes. And then um, when we go through the main conceit is that there is a superhero like Superman uh, named Homelander and he basically is a terrible human being. So he's, yeah, that's an ominous he's, foreshadowing name. Yeah, so he <laughs> like the the conceit is essentially like what would the world be like if superheroes existed? Mm-hmm. But they also were complete narcissists and had no regard for human life. Okay. But yeah. were their image was like bought by companies and therefore they had to present as superheroes. So like he's still oh. Homelander. He's still thought of as the world's greatest superhero. And so he has this front that he puts on for the world, but behind bars he or behind closed doors he is he basically like murders a whole bunch of people. And um the main uh conceit of like the story is Carl uh Keith Urban's Keith Urban's Carl Urban. Carl mm-hmm. Urban, the guy from Star Trek. Um I'm sure other people know him from very different things. But anyways he is uh on a rampage uh trying to make the world know who Homelander is because Homelander raped his wife and his wife uh has um disappeared and so it's been like eight years or something like it's like a long period of time in which he's been basically fighting trying to find homelander and he uh the other kid that becomes sort of like a main character is somebody whose girlfriend basically was killed because she was standing a foot off the curb and the flash character like the the character called a train uh-huh. ran Speedster. ran through her and she mm-hmm. exploded so mm-hmm. that, and that's in the first episode so it's not like a spoiler for but it's like the conceit is that there's this kid who I didn't realize this is Meg Ryan's son I didn't know <laughs> Meg Ryan had a son Meg Ryan has a son with Dennis Quaid and that kid and is like the, the main show. is the main kid of the show um anyways <laughs> and so he joins basically this this group of vigilantes the yeah the anti-heroes that are fighting against the the big heroes and it's really interesting um it plays with itself it's very tongue-in-cheek the second season the conceit is like in the first season there's a new superhero added to the group of the seven is what they're called um and she's a woman and so she's like the second woman to be added to the team and she winds up being actually a friend of our anti-heroes which is kind of cool like as the story progresses not again not to, it's not really a spoiler, anyways. <laughs> but this third so this third the second season they've introduced a new character who is another woman 
And it just does this whole great tongue-in-cheek thing where they have ad campaigns, right? Because they're part of mm-hmm, a company mm-hmm. and the company is selling these superheroes and their ad campaign is girls get it done and so it's just this whole terrible like these three superheroes that just do like are so sick of like this and the one the one girl that's come in um basically being like why are you guys putting up with this or this is all like ridiculous and sort of live streaming but but it's sort of like they 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 lean into it right a little bit and so it's just anyways overall right, they're fun se- they're self-satire of Oh yeah, in, in, because in it's, its, own it's like literally, um, what would the world be like if there were superheroes and we could make money off of them? You would enjoy, I suspect, Amanda, the anime uh, Tiger and Bunny. Oh, I've heard of this before, I think, yeah. but I, what is Tiger and Bunny? Uh, let me make sure I'm recommending the right one while I describe it. Um, <laughs> it is um, a similar premise of monetized superheroes. You know, ah. it's a Japanese telling of the of the framing, but. Um, it is, it's a, a kind of a buddy cop comedy um, with frequently assumed to have significant homoerotic subtext, uh, <laughs> intended or, or not. Um, but it's about these two heroes who end up partnered together um, in the, the corporate sponsored hero game of hero villain battle. Oh, so they're kind show. of like they play off of each other, like as a hero and a villain, essentially? No, they're they're uh, they're two heroes who are reluctantly partnered. Is the ah, premise cool? Yes. The boys but, is um... very violent. I do just before I finish talking <laughs> about the boys, I do just need anybody that's thinking of watching it. It's not for the faint of heart. Like honestly, it's really good in terms of like deconstructing like humanity and at at its worst. Um, but it is viscerally like in the second season. I don't think this is a spoiler. But straight up, they ram a boat through a whale, and then it's just, and it's just, they're just covered. Like, what what would happen to you if you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rammed through a whale? And it's basically a little bit of a breaking point for one of the characters who's just basically sitting inside this dead whale and just being like, what, what, what? Like, it's, it's like a great moment and anybody that's familiar with the boys even if you haven't watched this episode the aquaman character is um interesting for many reasons i don't know if i'm really liking his narrative in the second season but one of the things is that he just fails spectacularly at protecting sea life and so it's from inside of a whale it's just this fantastic thing. I will say, too, actually, this is something that Andrew really likes about the series, um, is that The Boys, the first season of The Boys, he says it's one of the only depictions he's ever seen, and I think it's I think it's true for me as well, where there is a male who is sexually assaulted and it's not treated like a joke. Like, it's a serious thing like this. Um, and they do it in a way where they really, the sexual assault is done through the... Um, the features of the superhero. So it's not like it's it's an allegory for sexual assault, mm-hmm. essentially. But it it like very it's very visceral and uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that's really interesting is that the person who is sexually assaulted had previously committed sexual assault. So this the show mm-hmm. is really this sort of dynamic on like 
you really get at the core of all of these, like what happens when you watch a terrible person get their comeuppance, but then you have to sit with that character for the rest of the series and see what they're going through as well. Like it's, it's just sort of an interesting Right, sitting that that emotional emotional processing space, yeah. more of our Jess, Jessica Jones type yeah. um, question about the human human healing. Yeah, yeah, love it. Cool. So nice. Okay, so that's the you've boys. Nicely, so you've nicely bumped it up my list a few a few points anyway. Yeah. I'm not I'm not fond of the Amazon Prime interface. That is 100 percent the reason I haven't gotten around to watching this one yet. It it appears on my Roku TV, so I can use it like a like any other app. Mm-hmm. So I can just watch it like regular television. And I feel like there's a this, there's like it lessens a, a whole bunch of stuff. I actually just got Apple TV too for the same reason, where I could just literally like do it on my on my TV. So I can't I can't deal with it actually in my browser. But <laughs> um, my other TV series, I actually cannot remember if I talked about this last week. I, I potentially did, but basically one of the guys that we went to school with, Ryan, uh, is a producer, and he mm. has produced a series called Julie and the Phantoms, um, and then I wound up uh, watching just sort of the first uh, couple episodes to just be like, oh, this is cool. It's something that was created by somebody that we know, and or produced by somebody that we know, and it has major high school musical vibes, and as somebody who quite enjoyed High School Musical, I actually watched all nine episodes of the first season. So it, it there's actually, a place and a time. For there, high right? And it very much was this show, and it was just really cute. It's just it's about the conceit of Julie and the Phantoms is that there is a '90s boy band that dies, and a young girl from modern times who is having problems getting back into her singing because her mother has passed, and she forms a band with three ghosts and it is fantastic it's just a fun lighthearted. it's a kid show like i don't get me wrong it's very much for that kind of a demographic but it's cute and it's totally vancouver is all over the place on that show (laughs) um and also it's it's just uh some cool and it's kenny ortega too who is Mm, very i mean you know that's probably why it has high school musical vibes but uh that could be an association maybe (laughs) anyway so those are those are the things that i am watching okay so i will say being uh having to do this on my own i have no idea if there's still ad breaks so if there is ad breaks in this version of thunder quack they would have just happened so thank you thank you for listening to the ad breaks um if we don't have ad breaks anymore that's awesome uh we really are just um trying to get as many people listening to the podcast as possible over at the thunder quack patreon page um which we did sort of chat at the beginning so um that's a great way to listen without ads such as if you just listen to this one without ads. Um, also, it keeps... Maybe you got a free sample. We're yeah. not sure. Uh, also, it keeps Mike around, which I'm sure people <laughs> need because I have been trying everything with the tech on this, and we have had some tech hiccups, let me tell you. And I just I just have to apologize because I think that there's a bit of an echo for me, and I can't figure out what it is. But you have you have Ryan's beautiful voice pretty consistently, so I'll just try to let Ryan talk for the last <laughs> little bit of this podcast. <laughs> At least I'm smooth. Right, exactly. It's so beautiful. Um, I feel like it's me trying to use my fancy microphone has messed me up because I can only use, like, with great power comes great responsibility that I obviously <laughs> don't know how to deal with yet. Um, so for the final bit of the podcast, uh, we usually do sort of a main topic. But again, we've gotten rid of the Thunderquack 
rundown and we don't do things that way. So instead, let's just chat a little bit about all of the things exploding in our world and relate them back to J.K. Rowling, who we've talked about many times on the podcast uh, and all of the malarkey that's happening with her. But one of the biggest things that's happened recently is that people have just found out the topic of her new book. And I think that that is causing people to understand where all of her, as we use the words, malarkey is coming from. Well, it's it's interesting because the subject of her new book isn't transphobia. It It's like a chunk of the plot, a side plot. One of the one of the suspects is just a really horrifying transphobic stereotype. So it's not even about this. It's just obviously atrocious in a perpetuating harmful stereotypes way that it I've seen some people speculate like did she out herself as a a, a transphobic jerk specifically because she knew she was going to get called out about this book or <laughs> like is was that her attempt at damage control because it <laughs> failed um but anyway yeah she's put her money where her mouth is with her work and um uh JK Rowling needs to lose her cultural cachet. She has abused it. And I think she is like, there was that beautiful Barnes and Noble display the other day Mm -hmm. that was going around social media where it's like books that you can read instead of Harry Potter or just Mm -hmm. people like starting to recognize that when the next fantastic beasts movie gets, gets canceled, then she will have her brand will have sufficiently waned as long as people are still making money off of her. Mm that's an issue. And, like, I say this as a long-time Harry Potter fan. I've been to the parks. I've been to conventions. I've, I grew up on it. I was a big old nerd. Um, and I love that property. Um, but I can't... We can't separate the artist from the continuing new works that both attempt to comment on contemporary social issues in her, lots of her writings since Harry Potter. She, she does attempt to make commentary. And we can't... Inf- ignore the fact that as long as she's bankable um major corporate norms will depend on uh her transphobic awfulness and allow her that and give her a pass for that and that's not appropriate behavior from a public figure that's not uh, that's not an okay opinion to spew hate yeah uh and letting letting our capitalist art system churn along and continue producing Harry Potter related things. I don't care about the, the measly residuals that she's getting from any given, you know, this, this new Harry Potter game coming up, for example, I care about the fact that studios can see this horrible, hateful tirade, this contentious uh, position that denies the rights of, of people employed by these very companies, um, by her publisher, by Warner brothers, um, when they continue to invest and make money off of her name and her brand, um, right. That, that's, that's how, that's how brutally she needs to, she, she is the canceled this time. (laughs) She needs to be, she, her brand is trash and she made it that way and it sucks. Um, but there's no ethical consumption of Harry Potter anymore. There's, there's, 
secondhand piracy of the books. Enjoy the books for what it is. Enjoy the, the properties for your personal relationship with it. But new stuff? New stuff's done. Yeah. It, it's supporting evil. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about this is, like, specifically where fan fiction comes in to play and where there's, yeah. like, ways to get your content in other places. And I don't know if anybody did listen. I feel like you and I have done a Thunderquack podcast way back, way back, back when they were, like, not the, the like, <laughs> podcast that they are today, where we specifically did a whole deep dive into fan fiction. So if you're curious and want to hear more of myself and Ryan talking on the internet, there is uh, content to consume there. I think I also joined for a Riverdale podcast once, but I didn't know what was going on, so I feel like it's maybe... Once. It wasn't, yeah, you were a few episodes was, behind. That I was. I don't. I don't think I've ever watched full episodes of Riverdale. <laughs> I do like. Yeah. I. Yeah. So it's, I'm the worst person to talk about Riverdale. But um, we. Yeah, we chatted a little bit on the podcast about the J.K. Rowling. Bill. J.K. Rowling billboard uh, that came out in uh, BC. Yes. So people are familiar with sort of our Vancouver-based mm. struggles with her. So she just keeps coming up on our podcast, and I think it's just because there just keeps being new things each week, and you can't get rid of authorial intent in a lot of things and i saw a great meme today specifically sort of about how authors can be held accountable or that the author who had written jaws or something forever was sort of sad that his book led to a near extinction of and and villain vilification of sharks who actually are not as terrible as they are portrayed in jaws <laughs> so i just think that that like the power that you have as an author is really important to recognize and the and the destruction or the positive things that it can bring into the world um, and I think all authors start from a place of wanting positivity, but the more that we look at, at what it is that JK is, is doing, it's just really frustrating and destructive and Yeah, and yeah. you know she Yeah, she's been she's she's done good things with her position and power by and large as a you know, from her from her lived experience and perspective, she's she's mostly done pretty good. But it turns out she holds this one abhorrent hateful view. And it's, like, it's not a misstep. It's she's just really, really wrong about this major social issue that trans yeah. people are, exist, and are their gender, and are not just confused autistic women. People have been talking about RuPaul, actually, as well, because I feel like RuPaul yeah. is quite transphobic as well. And, yeah. and like, just all, like, all of these people in positions of power that are fighting for certain rights at the expense of other rights. And I will say that that is sort of what's going on with JK, too, is that she thinks she's doing something good for, for female representation. And it really is just moving us in, in a completely incorrect direction. Um, yep. So there's... Yep. I don't know. I don't want to beat this dead horse because I feel like we talked so much about JK but I think really what it it brings us to is just the things that 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 move us forward and that get us passionate about and we know here on Thunderquack we quit care a lot about politics and we've been talking about American politics until the cows come home um but we have to talk about a big piece of news on RN2 <laughs> is that um British Columbia the province in which Mike myself and Ryan live have done something super stupid and this morning, our premier, which I guess is the same as a governor in yes. the states, yeah, um, has decided that it's a good time to call an election a year before we were supposed to have one. 
And so Ryan and I have just been, Ryan and I were texting this. It's actually how Ryan ended up on the podcast because when Mike was like, hey, do you have anybody that can come podcast? I was like, well, me and Ryan have been yelling at each other via text message all morning. So I feel like we could perhaps talk to each other on the internet for a while as well. God, I'm so local politics angry, Amanda. I know. It's, yep. (laughs) So, 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 BC currently has the only progressive left-wing sitting government in Canada. Uh, Our liberal federal government is roughly centrist, and our other provinces, uh, their premiers, contemporaries to governors, are pretty much centrist or conservative at the moment. We're sort of a last bastion of Rohan. (laughs) Like, way at the last legs of the reaches of man here on the West Coast. And you know what? Our progressive NDP government has been screwing up on a bunch of things. We've there've been a bunch of steps. I and I say this lovingly as someone who voted voted uh, for this for my current MP minister and as a longtime NDP supporter. I not totally partisan. I've also supported the Green Party, like you, Amanda. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but um, I say this as a fan of a lot of their people. They've made some big screw ups governance wise. But um, probably the biggest is calling a snap election one year before a scheduled election date in the middle of pandemic and not recognizing that people would be upset now i watched um i watched premier horgan's conference this morning and he seemed taken aback that every single question was critical (laughs) he he was increasingly off like every single question had a critique as into it why now what about this? What about that? What about this measure? What about that measure? Um, and uh, yeah, it's a frustrating time because we don't necessarily have a more progressive option in um, British we, Columbia. We at don't. The moment. We don't have a more progressive viable option in in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. There, we have a spectacular uh, local Green Party who have several um, several sitting members. However, with a snap election, there is no time for opposition parties to get their ducks in a row. They have 30 days to announce candidates. Now, our current government has been rolling out star candidates for the last three weeks and clearly been planning for several months. This is really bad for democracy. Because in in 30 days now, all opposition parties have to headhunt, vet, and find, submit, and run their candidates. That's thousands and thousands of man-hours of work that have to happen at the drop of a hat. And um, ostensibly, the, or the, the, the unabashed stated reason for this election is to lock down a majority government. Um, it's they're solid not gonna politicking. get. They're not gonna get it. And so, <laughs> like, yeah, one, I doubt it. One of the, the hubris. Yeah, it's and it's so it's just I will say that the reason why we're bringing this up on the International Thundercrack podcast talking about British Columbia politics is because we have been up on our high horse for many a month here talking we're about mess, the y'all. chaos the chaos in the states with politics and this was just something I did not see coming like there was mur- there's been murmurs of it for a little bit and somebody in my like extended social circle is like isn't there an election like coming up next month in our i was like of course there isn't it's next year like i know about politics and they were talking about the snap election that they'd been hearing rumblings about and i'm like there's no way that that would happen and so it seems like such a bad idea right who would ever do that i know 
at a time when our, our infection numbers are rising, we're still struggling with school reopenings. There are several major government portfolios run by ministries that are stumbling and failing yeah. in crisis situations. And it will be the first election held in British Columbian history uh, with the exception of World War II during a state of emergency. Yeah, like it's just, I will say the thing that's so weird about it is I don't know if Americans can do this. Can American, like, like no. people that are um, sitting in, in power just decide to have an election? Just be the like... parliamentary system has all sorts of weird wonkiness that is special to itself. <laughs> uh, an aspect I respect about the U.S. Republican structure is that fixed term limits are a major thing. Now, in the U.S., you also vote on stuff like sheriffs and judges in a lot of counties, which is ooh, a whole different can of worms. And yeah, there's plenty of electoral weird. reform needed in the yeah. U.S., yeah. But our electoral reform uh, is unique and different types of confusing hot mess. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, um, on a parliamentary system, fixed term, fixed election dates are more of a suggestion because the maintenance of government depends on the ongoing confidence of parliament. And right. so in theory, you're always on that knife's edge. There's a constant accountability. Um, and in practice, what this often hap what often happens is we get these this electoral gaming. Um, the NDP, our our relatively moderate centrist, little bit progressive left uh, premier, has calculated that my numbers are good now. My numbers may not be good in one year's time at the scheduled election, and I want my majority to govern for this last year. That's the best way for me to govern. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that we still have to have an election next year then, too. No, we don't. Okay, we no, get it, a four -year it resets, mandate. Yeah, it resets yeah. the four years, right? Yep. Okay, good. That's what I thought, too. Yep. I, I don't know. It's just there's a whole bunch of ridiculousness about politics, and I just, we wanted to sort of end this week's episode on a little bit, I guess, of a downer, but also it's like the Schadenfreude or whatever it is. The Sch Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, where you can just look at BC right now and just laugh. No. Uh, the one saving grace is that um, provinces have much less uh, importance as states do. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the states that states are in charge of that, um, like, because they're a you're a, f f a federal, like, federal. The, the republic. The rep republic, yeah. The republic model, right? Parliamentary versus parliamentary model. And so there's a lot of yeah. things that are, like, our government, of, like, the Canadian government controls. But... In this time of pandemic, one of the things that is the most significant is that our provincial uh, governments are in charge of education. And at, at right now, there's just so many problems that we're going into. Like, it, like a new government trying to deal with education in the time of pandemic, like... Yeah, like it's such a risk. They, so... they took this undertaking with the bold assumption that they will get a majority because any other option is catastrophic. Yeah terrible and the thing is too like what hubris and people don't realize too because again you're not from british columbia you don't care about local politics but like the ndp hasn't really kept a majority ever in Brit like it was like mm -hmm. what it was like 20 or 30 years ago or something like where mm -hmm. there's any sort of sustained government well the, the ndp have most frequently functioned in canadian politics as a third party progressive alternative um, in BC, we functionally have a two-party system. We have two major parties plus uh, a small tertiary Green Party, uh, and it, it, it mirrors the right-left split, mm -hmm. even though uh, parties have different 
platforms in different provinces based on where they sit in the province's balance. Yeah. It can be a little confusing here in Canada uh, between the federal and provincial because they all use the same names and there's a lot of the same people involved. But um, it's a mess, y'all. We got the most progressive one and they're doing this, yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's not even the biggest political crisis in Canada this week. Um, the Mi'kma'ki fishing crisis, uh, fishing conflicts um, in in uh, Nova Scotia in eastern Canada, um, there is a violent confrontation happening between uh, Canadian fishers, uh, fishermen, fish, fishing boats, fishing operations, wow. and um, Indigenous Mi'kmaq uh, fisheries. Um, settlers have been cutting their lines and destroying the traps uh and holding a flotilla out on the water like I have dozens not heard of, of this. boats See, Ryan is shooting much more... flares at indigenous fish uh, fisheries to prevent them from harvesting lobsters <laughs> and it's this there's uh the Mi'kma'ki chiefs have declared a state of emergency about this um, it's, yeah, this really, 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 like, baseline resource meme. conflict between Indigenous and settler oh. communities is happening Jeez. out on the East Coast right now. And it's it's escalating into the petty property damage place, but also the threats of violence against Indigenous people's place. Wow. And, yeah, that's not even, yeah, we, we're not even the biggest political mess at the moment. Oh, great i honestly i thank you for being so in tune with the world because you're now making me realize that i saw a meme today about fishing like like yeah but now i know what the (laughs) meme was about i just thought it was generally being upset about indigenous fishing rights so was it yeah was it the shirtless guy running meme no it was like a just a small little trolley like with a little fish catcher being like stop fishing versus like a big commercial like fish like where they grab the like huge swaths of fish mm-hmm, and be like it's mm-hmm. not us that's the problem it's like clearly capitalism is the problem here but Can- canadian licenses control like 99 percent of the fishery stock allowed and clearly the problem is micmac overfishing there, there you go and 99 percent, right. i believe i've seen the number 99.3 percent put out there <laughs> yeah and of course, <sighs> the overfishing is coming from the Mi'kmaq communities. Jeez. Uh, yep. Anyway, oh, they're all dumpster fires. So we're all Welcome in this to together, everybody. Fire. We're all in this together, and the we're best all in we can different do. Different dumpsters. We're all in different dumpsters. The best we can but do all is just try to make the world a little bit better. Make sure you register to vote. I think that in-person voting in the states has started. Um, I literally just realized that, I, like Ryan, like sort of was like you should run again for politics this morning and i'm kind of like i'm not gonna run again in my cert in my current district because uh there's a like harsh incumbent from the ndp that everybody loves he's basically the governor general of our province is that is that the right state attorney attorney general attorney general so like the second highest but let's talk vulnerabilities amanda off the off the podcast but also but also (laughs) though i've been spending a lot of time in my hometown of penticton who currently has a liberal sitting in that seat that anyways we'll talk politics after this podcast ryan much like we've talked politics on the podcast so amanda's candidacy now (laughs) oh dear again um it literally has to happen within the next week i know it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it's ridiculous remember how much work it was the first time you decided to do this with months of lead up no yeah no but but that's the only reason why kind of now i'm like well it would only be two months of my life (laughs) 
<laughs> Unless it became four years of my life. But that's a different story. Okay. Uh, we're going to be done now. If there's yeah. anything, uh, usually when we exit the podcast, we talk a little bit about how people can find us elsewhere. I don't know if you want people to follow oh, you on social yeah. media, but they could follow your stuff. So let us know, Ryan. Sure. I get real loud about politics on Twitter. Uh, Ryan M. Karen. Um, I think we follow each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that Twitter is probably the best place to find me. I, I have Instagram. I have Facebook. But those are much more in-joke places. Nice. Do you have um a place for Riverdale Gang stuff, too? Are you guys online? I mean, we have a website, RiverdaleGang.com, but really we are a floating podcast off in the ether, wherever you draw your podcasts from. Um, We are a watch-along critical commentary podcast uh, of the CW television show Riverdale. Um, We talk a lot about original Archie Comics nerdism. We talk a lot about the, like, really indulgent, indulgent art niche mush that, that... gets jammed into the CW shows, all the really wonky, experimental, ridiculous stuff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a good old time. Awesome. Thanks. Um, people that follow this podcast know that you can find me on Twitter at a Conkin, a K O N K I N. You can add 86 to that for Instagram. Uh, I did not write down all of the thunder quack things that I was supposed to. <laughs> I wrote the intro. I just want everybody to just relish in the intro. Like, come on. I got the intro. She nailed that. You can give me the extra. I actually do think that Mike text, has... the copy. I think Mike has actually recorded it now. So this might be the place in which Mike adds all of that in as he normally does. So Mike, I hope you can add that after this so that people can find us on Thunder Quack uh, Podcast. Um, but otherwise, we'll be signing off. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Nice to meet y'all. Hi. Okay, stay safe, everyone. Wash your hands and be kind to one another. Follow the Thunderquack Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching the Thunderquack Podcast. You can support us in three ways. First, by heading to the podcast service of your choice and leaving a rating and review. Second, by going to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch from your favorite podcasts. And last but not least, by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support and get cool rewards like early access, ad-free episodes, and extended episodes. The Thunderquack Podcast is the official podcast of thunderquack.com. Head to thunderquack.com to discover more great podcasts.